Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Good afternoon. It is Friday, October 28th. This is Noon Edition with Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. This week, we're going to spend the next hour talking about poverty in south-central Indiana. And joining us in studio to do just that are Pete Giordano, Director of Bloomington's Community and Family Services, Rob Young, the Executive Director of New Hope Family Services, and Jim Edwards, the Program Director at Rives Youth Center of Catholic Charities in Terre Haute. If you'd like to be a part of our program during the next 60 minutes, please call Call us at 812-855-0811. You can also reach us toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can leave a comment, if you like, on our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition, where you can also find our live web chat. And we're on Twitter. Follow us at noon edition. Well, thanks to the three of you for being here. I'd like to open up with sort of a, a general question that I think will be a a sort of help, at least for me, and and that is, I'd like to get a sense from each of you what poverty looks like in this day and age. How do you identify what the problem is so you go about trying to solve it in the most effective way possible? Rob, you're on my right. Why don't we start with you and we'll go down the line. Fine, yeah. I I really am uh, taking care of a fairly small niche in the social service system. I run a shelter that's exclusively for families, mm-hmm. exclusively for Monroe County families, as a matter of fact. So we have a small shelter here in central Bloomington where we take folks that have basically run out of places to live and don't have any resources to find their own. So what's it look like? From my perspective, it looks like families with little kids. It looks like people with their nephews that they have legal guardianship of. It looks like uh, mother I had walk in yesterday and was sheltered who has a three-month-old, a year, one-year-old, and she has another one on the way. That's what uh, is out there floating around from house to house, couch to couch. Pete, does it look similar to you? I, I think Rob touches on a lot of it. I think we have some intergenerational or generational poverty in the Bloomington area. But I think what we're seeing now is also, I don't know if newly impoverished is the right term, but people for whom the economic downturn has driven them into, if not poverty by the numbers, then certainly uh, very difficult economic times. So I I think we're seeing two different uh, strains of it. I think sometimes the face of poverty in Bloomington is a little bit different because we do have the overlay of the university on top of basically south central Indiana. But you have a number of people living in Bloomington at very low wages that may not Mm -hmm. look like what you normally think of as people in poverty. But they're there by the numbers uh, because our wages are so low. Mm-hmm. Jim, what about in, in Terre Haute? We saw a number a couple weeks ago that something like one in three children in Vigo County lives in poverty. Does that gel with what you're seeing? Sure, sure it does. I would say that, that poverty, at least in Terre Haute, is easily hidden. And I say that because uh, you know, there's so many people living in poverty that are helping each other. And so they're living together, double, tripled up, and people don't see them. You know, a lot of people think if they watch television, they see people living in cardboard boxes and and things like that. And you will see some of that. But for the majority, what you will find is a hidden population of children and uh, grandparents and parents and and 
just a few of them make it to a shelter because there's not enough shelters, not enough space. So they are taken in by friends and other families. What I've seen, too, is that uh, throughout the years, you know, I remember when I was young uh, seeing the fact that families would take in their grandparents to help them out, to make sure they were taken care of. Nowadays, what we're seeing are grandparents taking in the the younger family members to take care of them. It's adding a lot more stress on on the the, uh, older generation. Why the reversal? Uh, I think that that part of it is that there's there's a change in in uh, philosophy of how you take care of things and uh the elderly have uh worked hard at getting their house or taking care of uh whatever uh things they may have and so uh it's just easier for them to uh, uh help their uh you know their relatives or children their grandchildren and you know that's that's just what they have been raised to do is to take care of family. And uh, uh, it's not always easy because, you know, the elderly are on a fixed income and they don't have enough money to take care of families. Yeah. We've talked briefly about that sort of change and about how more families are now being thought of as being in poverty. I wonder if we should talk for a second about the definition of poverty, whether it's a clinical definition that is based strictly on some sort of numerical value or whether it's more of a qualitative evaluation of how a family or a given person is is living. Uh, I'm curious, and, and I'll open this up to whoever wants it, how are we defining poverty today? Yeah, and talk about that percentage of, you know, that is always, you have to be at 110% of poverty in order to qualify. Explain what all that means. Well, the numbers, if you measure it that way, are about $11,000 of income for an individual to be in poverty and around $23,000 for a family of four to be considered in poverty. And you can see that there are probably a large number of people in the community that may not qualify by those numbers but are still having a very difficult time making ends meet. So I think the numbers only point out so much. You have to take a more qualitative look at it and see that they're beyond the statistical numbers or have to be a number of people in the community are having trouble making rent, mortgage, feeding their families and all. So I I think it captures both of those things in terms of how poverty plays out in, in people's day-to-day lives. And, and also, I know that sometimes even if you're having difficulty day-to-day, there's still people, plenty of people willing to give you credit. And so if you're not sure where you're, how you're going to feed yourself or your children or your family, you're going to take whatever is available, and oftentimes that's a, a credit card. And so then you double the trouble by then going into credit card debt. How, how is that our economy um, had an impact on, on that kind of, uh, you know, that consumer debt that's so crippling. Are you, are you all seeing that as, as a function uh, within I the families a, that you deal with? I see a lot, of, a lot of really impoverished families. You know, there's different degrees like you, you alluded to with the 100%, 200%. And basically what that's saying is that, you know, 100% of poverty for, say, a family of four is about Twenty-two thousand three fifty. Two hundred percent. Then would be double that. So that that says that. Uh, wait, wait. That would be double what? The twenty-two three fifty. Okay, so they. So two hundred percent would then be forty-four seven hundred. Right. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. Go ahead. And uh, what I see is, first, several years ago, it was easier for people to get credit. You know, and they would mm-hmm, use mm-hmm. credit cards. And if you look at the credit cards, some of the the interest rate on those credit cards would be over thirty percent. Oh, I know, crazy, crazy. And so, think if you have a thousand dollars, you know, just on a credit card, and you're paying a minimum amount, you're never going to pay that off with mm-hmm. that type of a, an interest rate. Not in one lifetime. Not in mine. <laughs> of course, I'm getting older. But uh, what I see is a lot of impoverished people. Uh, 
of course they want everything that everybody else has. You know, and, and today in today's economy and with the, the age of Internet and, and things like that, uh, they'll want a computer or they'll want something nice to sit on. So where do they go? They go to the rent-a-center. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy thing, you know, and, and it's, again, the same type of catch that, you know, some of the higher interest uh, credit cards are. Mm-hmm. and. Whenever we're in crisis, whenever we're uh, without money and, and wanting to feel better, what's the best way of doing that is reach out and try and get something nice for ourselves. We go out shopping or we go and, – and this population can't do that without major problems. Mm-hmm. I see another major problem with, uh, with the uh, – uh, well, I see one of the problems that causes most of the – the issues with the families I work with, you know, they don't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. And they can't find a doctor that may see them, so they go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the, the emergency room, you know, has a lot of tests, a lot of money. They can't afford that either. Then all of a sudden, they've got big medical bills. And so now they've got bad credit because of their medical bills. Mm -hmm. So it's a never-ending cycle. It's not just one thing. And, you know, any of us could be destroyed by, uh, you know, by medical bills. Mm -hmm. We started out this whole thing talking about money and about income for individuals or families. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Rob, you know, $22,000 for a family of four sounds like, an incredibly small amount of money to try to run four lives on, especially if some of them are kids who have uh, a lot more expenses that adults would never have yes. relating to education and other sort of things that just come with growing up. Mm-hmm. Does that definition need to be changed? Do we need to change the scale so that we are working more towards you know what is a livable income, especially as the cost of living goes up 3 to 4% every year? Well, the last stats I saw on a living wage, Pete, you probably know more of this than I, I think it was around $15, $16 an hour. Mm-hmm. And that means that you can pay for some child care, some medical mm-hmm. care, your rent, your car, your utilities, and so on. Nothing above and beyond basic day-to-day, month-to-month living skills. And no opportunity for savings, you know, no, to have that, that without any cushion. extra fat or anything. <clears throat> so you know, there's not a lot of that around here. Anyone knows that the, the labor system here is not providing a lot of fifteen plus dollar an hour jobs, particularly to people who, for whatever reason, haven't finished high school, don't have a driver's license, uh, have a felony conviction, any sort of black mark or deficit in your take it for granted type of person uh you know they're they're just out of luck uh if you drop out of high school now in indiana you may not get a driver's license i mean you cannot get a driver's license what that's a law in indiana now if you drop out of high school you can't get a driver's license that's a law yeah it's purely a punitive thing it's done to discourage dropping out of high school but people still drop out of high school at a pretty good rate particularly around here and then they try to get a job, and, you know, you can't even get a job at a car wash because you can't get in the car and drive it down the line. So that's just one example. You don't even need to maybe drive for the job, but they want to see a driver's license. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't finished high school, that's, that's automatically for many employers. Don't even bother filling out an application. That just says to a lot of employers, see that as indicative of – unemployable or some sort of, you know, underlying You've got problem. some issues. Yeah, you've got issues somewhere along the line. If you didn't finish high yeah. school, they're going to assume you have some issues. It could be for any issues. variety of good reasons, but yeah. that's just sort of a uh, barrier people just can't get over. And getting a high school diploma is not as easy as you might imagine. The GED tests are harder. I don't think I could pass one now. I've forgotten algebra. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know that I could get through a GED course. But they're out there. And But then, you know, people have to eat. And they can't go to school a lot if they got to hold down a job that's all they can do to pull together the rents, which are inflated here. There's no question about it. Uh, a lot of people have trouble paying rent because the student population skews the housing market. So what happens is a lot of lower-income folks who are 
self-sufficient to some extent, wind up living out in the country. They live out in the boondocks. Farther from services. And farther from uh, transportation. And the next thing you know, the car is broken down. And they don't have the money to fix the car, so they can't go to work, so they can't keep the bills, so on, so on, so on. The snowball. Mm-hmm. When I get to our first phone caller of the afternoon, we have Dave on the telephone calling from Bloomington. Good afternoon, Dave. Yes, my question concerns um, the cost of living in Bloomington. The last statistic I saw was that uh, we are just behind Carmel as the second highest cost to live in the city. Um, can you maybe break that down a little bit in terms of how that affects all of those people making less than $22,000 a year? Well, they can't afford to live in the city. I think Rob touches on a good point that the even looking at the statistics that are presented are for the city of Bloomington. And as the caller pointed out, it costs more to live in town than outside of town. So I, I think a lot of people, it, it underrepresents the number of people who are actually struggling and living in poverty when you just look at the statistics for the city. Yeah. And in the 20-some years I've lived here, I've noticed, too, that we have um, dismantled over time a lot of the lower-income housing opportunities. For example, I remember when there were several mobile home parks within city limits, and I've seen those go to other that land go to other uses over time over and over again so i think you know again to to reiterate your point that um those opportunities are are drying up and and again forcing those people who really need to be in town to take advantage of as you mentioned transportation and other services you know they're, they're those opportunities for housing are just going away because they're further away from the service and these yeah. are the people who can least afford to pay for the price of gasoline right. and other transportation-related mm-hmm, costs. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again, just looking at the city, uh, it you don't get a full reflection of the number of people in our greater community that are struggling right now economically. Dave, thanks for your call. We certainly appreciate your, your time and your comment, and I think you've actually given us a good, a good jumping-off point to talk about Bloomington itself because – I think the numbers, as they come from the Census Bureau and whatnot back to our newsroom, they always look a little skewed to us. Uh, You wouldn't think of, as Dave points out, Bloomington as one of the highest cost of living places in the state necessarily. You might expect that of a place like Hamilton County. Um, And then there are the poverty numbers, the numbers that say Monroe County is one of the five, six, seven poorest counties in Indiana, but then you have to take into account the fact you have all these students who, of course, don't make ten or eleven thousand dollars per person per year. Um, should we be reconsidering, especially in a place like Monroe County, which has such a large student population, and the same thing is true of Vigo County? Um, should we be reconsidering what it means to be poor so that we can more accurately define who is living in poverty and how best we can help those people who really need it? Well, I'd say that. We all agree that the student population skews the poverty numbers, but that doesn't detract from the fact that there are still way too many people living in poverty in Bloomington and Monroe County and the reality of their lives every day. I think when you look at those numbers, uh, there were a lot of comparisons made with why Bloomington's numbers were so far out of whack with what we see and experience sort of anecdotally Mm -hmm. and also why there is such a difference between, say, the two communities, Bloomington and College Station, Texas, who had the dubious distinction of showing up in the top ten. I had one of our graduate student interns uh, run some numbers on that and... uh, quick plug for the SPIA school. They're great. Uh, But those two communities, and we compared them to Boulder and Iowa City, which were relatively the same, uh, have a much higher college population as a percent. So that may explain why those two communities showed up in the top 10 as opposed to, say, Boulder or Iowa City. Mm -hmm. But again, even if the 40% figure is 
twice as much. That still leaves one in five people still living in poverty in our community. And I, I think most of us would agree that that's unacceptable. I, I can't say this scientifically, but I would suspect, uh, Jim, that I, having spent a fair amount of time in Vigo County and a fair amount of time in Monroe County, it would be my estimation that there are more people truly living in poverty in Vigo County than there are in Monroe County. Um, do you feel that the numbers are are accurate enough that you and your organization and the other organizations trying to help these people out in Vigo County get the time and the money and the attention that you require to do as good a job as you might? I, I believe that it's important to get more attention, more time. Uh, a lot of people uh, believe poverty or people that live in poverty are uh, stereotypical, lazy, uh, addicted, you know, all sorts of negative connotations. And, and people don't necessarily want to give money to help people that are in that situation. Uh, but, you know, if you look at uh, the minimum wage and you multiply it times uh, 52 weeks, you know, 40 hours a week, you know, for a single mother of one child, that's about $300, $350 over the poverty rate. You know, that's enough to stop all help for for that family. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to, to realize when we go to a store, you know, the person that's waiting on us may be uh, impoverished because a lot of people uh, that work in stores are not working full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the people that I work with predominantly are probably what, what you'd call the poorest of the poor. And, uh, you know, I, I use a lot of interns, and every now and then I'll, I'll just do surveys just to see where I'm at to make sure I – and, and a couple of years ago, I had a, a college intern do a survey for me, and we had a family night dinner. And out of the families that responded to the survey, 60, over 60% of them lived on annual household incomes of less than $10,000 a year. And they had an average of two to three children. So, you know, you have to realize, you know, when you're looking at the poverty rates of 20000 and then look at Many families are living at uh, extremely lower income, and uh, although there's free lunches and there's uh, you know free textbooks, there's all sorts of other things that children need to survive. Our children that that I deal with, there's what's called a shoe bus that uh, goes around to the schools, and kids run in, and the first thing they do when they come into the center is show me their new shoes. You know, when we have people that give, uh, uh, you know, collections of underwear, you know, within five minutes, all the underwear is gone because our children don't have underwear. People do not realize uh, what we give up when we're talking about poverty. You know, if, if a family's living in a shelter, and it can be a beautiful, sweet, nurturing shelter, but there's rules, rules that you don't have at home, and if they have family, if they have children, the children usually have lost all their stuff, you know, whatever identifies them, their stuffed animals, their favorite pillow, whatever, it's gone, and they, they have no voice because especially the younger children, we have a, a preschool predominantly for homeless uh, children, and when they're that age, they don't have a voice. They can't say, I'm feeling lost or I'm frustrated. You know, they, they just know that they aren't living at home anymore, and they don't feel comfortable because there's all sorts of other people around that they have to share with. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at poverty just not as a number, but as human beings and the cost of uh, raising them up and getting them to uh, – earn more money and uh, 
a lot of people that are living in poverty, you'd be amazed at how hard of workers they are or how big of a heart. We've got a bonus point store at, at the youth center, and kids earn bonus points by doing their homework, by helping in the kitchen, whatever. And, you know, inherently, when they go into that bonus point store, many of them want to shop for their parents or their siblings. You know, so when you look at those things, you know, they're not the the addicted, the... Uh, the lazy. And so we, we do need to, to look at what the face of poverty really is and not just a number. All right. I want to get back to that in just a couple of minutes, but we've reached the bottom of the hour, so we need to take a quick break here on Noon Edition. We're talking about poverty today. You can call us during our break and get in on our phone lines for a question for the second half of the program at 812-855-0811. You can also call us toll-free at 877 877- Two eight five nine three four eight. You can go join the live chat at org slash Noon Edition. And we're on Twitter. You can find us at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Thanks for being with us here on Noon Edition on this Friday afternoon. We're talking about poverty in South Central Indiana. We're joined by Pete Giordano, the Director of Bloomington's Community and Family Services, Rob Young, Executive Director of New Hope Family Services, and Jim Edwards, Program Director at Rives Youth Center of Catholic Charities in Terre Haute. Call us at 812-855-0811 or 877-285-WFIU. Join us online at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or send us a tweet at Noon Edition. Uh, It occurred to me that I think poverty in a lot of ways is a very abstract idea for those of us who have been fortunate enough never to have fallen into it. Um, How can anti-poverty advocates do a better job of getting rid of that abstraction and making it a more real problem to people who have the means to help to fight it, do you think? Well, it it makes me think about how people perceive poverty. And I think in general, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, there's a perception, particularly in this community, that poverty is really those guys who are on the street or at the interchange looking for a dollar, who are looking a little scruffy and probably wouldn't be employable or anything else. But really, a lot of the poverty here is quite hidden, as it is in Terre Haute even more so than in the city. Most of the poverty that's not seen is rural poverty. And any school principal will tell you that there are certain areas of the Monroe County area that have pockets of low-income people that are really living sort of under the radar. And that's sprinkled all over, even in the more well-to-do quadrants, if you will, of this county. But one of the things to answer your question more directly is people have to understand that poverty essentially affects people like a, like a, a disease. Some famous author once wrote that no one suffers like the poor. And the research is quite clear that now we know that living in poverty in a chronic state is essentially psychologically as damaging as wartime. Mm. It's like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. The same symptomatology arises. 
I'm a psychotherapist by training, and I see this. I see people who aren't acting in their own best interest. They live in such chronic stress that affects them on an almost permanent basis. Every family I have seen in the last six months has one or another of its members in mental health services. Mm -hmm. Everyone has one member at least. Probably should have more, some of them. But that's a fact. It, it is abusive mm -hmm. to the psyche. You think of Frank McCourt, uh, you know, his, mm. his books are a good uh, uh, example of that. I think he never, you don't recover from it at some yes. point. Yeah. Want to go back to our phone lines? We have Lyle on the telephone calling in from Nashville. Lyle, thanks for calling Noon Edition. Thank you. Um, when I think of poverty, I look for a, a long-term solution because it's a very vicious cycle. Uh, there's a lot of attention given to the fact that poverty sometimes seems to follow along racial lines. It appears to me that the underlying strength of poverty seems to be uh, more directly related to something that doesn't get much attention anymore, and that is um, out of wedlock childbirths. I read an article, I believe in the USA Today some months ago, that showed that about 25% of Caucasian children are born to unwed mothers, 35% to Hispanics, almost 8 out of 10, and that's huge, to black children. And they're born straight into you know, a stressful cycle of poverty. And I believe if more was done to increase the morals and accountability in our nation's society, starting in the home, of course, the long-term effect would more than pay for any cost. And I can just, I can just imagine the effects of even a 50% cut in the, in the birth rate of children out of wedlock. There'd be less crime, less need for prisons and other, a host of other services, that's uh, actually paid for by taxes and families would finally, after two or three generations, would begin to pull themselves out and move into healthier and wealthier futures. I think some, uh, something needs to be said about that. Well, how do you suggest people go about that? Well, it has to start in the homes. People need to turn off uh, shows that have people like Lady Gaga on them that are trying to turn the children into something that they agree with, but in our hearts, in our, you know, in our homes, and starting here, you know, in a, in a, in a home, you want your, your children to, um, to see things that are healthy. Uh, you can't always be, it seems like media, and I'm not talking about the radio, I'm talking about mostly TV and video games and so on. In the last couple of generations, I'm not sure how in the world, they, uh, you know, as a society, the whole society can actually uh, do an awful lot without uh, bringing a lot of censor uh, into the, the law, but it has to start in the homes. And um, I would just say pray and do what you think is really best for your children and don't worry about what the neighbors think. All right, Lyle, thanks so much for your telephone call. You too can be a part of the program like Lyle by calling us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. I also got to wondering this morning about... Uh, businesses, especially restaurants, came immediately to my mind of, that have maybe higher than normal degrees of waste that might be able to, instead of wasting their resources, donate them or repurpose them in some ways to help the people who might not ordinarily be able to pay for them, but nonetheless could certainly benefit from their use. Is there more that could be done to partner with business in a community that might be able to help social services agencies better serve their clientele? I would say that uh, there definitely could be a lot more uh, collaborations with businesses. Uh, Catholic Charities, Terre Haute, Rives Youth Center. Uh, at Rives, we have a kids' cafe. We serve a uh, snack as soon as the kids get out of school, and then we serve a full meal uh, every evening, Monday through Friday. Then we have a backpack program so that we give food. Like tonight, we'll give a bag of food to the children that's child-friendly, nutritious food uh, so they can uh, help extend their, uh, their meals throughout the, the weekend. We have uh, collaborations with Marriott and Indiana State University, and we pick up their, uh, uh, their leftovers and bring them in and uh, help uh, – feed our children and also uh, out at Rose Hallman uh, we have uh, uh, we pick up there and 
uh, our homeless shelter, Bethany House, uses a lot of that food uh, for their soup kitchen. Do you do you have all that you need, or could you use more collaboration still to get more more food for people? It's not just a matter of donation. I wish it were. Uh, when when you say like donation of food. Uh, you have to look at the fact that the Board of Health wants you to keep that. And whether it's the Board of Health, it needs to be kept at a proper temperature. So then you have to also uh, pick it up and bring it back. You know, we've got a, got a blast chiller at Rives so that we're able to chill it down right away or serve it on our lines right away. Uh, it takes money for extra uh gas, extra trucks, you know, to to move that food, uh, a lot of coordination. So right now, we're doing the best we can, but we would need uh, more volunteers, more uh, more funds to uh, expand those programs. It's not just using that food, but uh, it's a great way to start, you know, and, and I've had uh, uh, businesses bring food. Uh, there's uh, Caboodle Cupcakes at uh, in Terre Haute that's gourmet cupcakes, and, and they'll bring, uh, at the end of the day, if they have leftovers, they'll bring it to us, and, and the kids really love that. I think you bring Our up volunteers a good point. do, too. I think you bring up a good point, though, that availability is not the only hurdle to be cleared here. So, uh, Carol is on the telephone from Bloomington. Carol, good afternoon. Thanks for calling into Noon Edition. Yes, thank you for this uh, very good program. I have a question for the uh, uh, everyone there today. One of my concerns in Bloomington is the high cost of property taxes. And I'd like to say very respectfully, when the MCCSC referendum uh, was an issue recently, I was opposed to the referendum because I was especially concerned about the poor in our community and uh, low-income seniors, uh, how that would affect them. Do, do uh, those of you uh, participating in the discussion uh, this morning, uh, are you also concerned about the high rate of property taxes, not only in Bloomington, but other communities, and how, um, they, how the high cost of property taxes and, and the increases affect the poorest among us? Carol, thanks for that. Pete, Rob, your thoughts? Well, I don't have those statistics right in front of me, but in reading some of the columns by folks like Morton Marcus and others, it would suggest that perhaps the assumption made by the caller is inaccurate because our taxes here in Indiana are not higher than other places. In fact, property taxes tend to be a little bit lower here. Uh, as well, I don't know that we, other than the referendum, we've seen significant property tax increases. And that's not to say the property taxes aren't a burden on many citizens, but I, I think we'd have to really look at some comparative data to see if that was in fact borne out that our taxes here in Monroe County are higher than other places or that taxes in Indiana would be higher than, than other uh, states and, and communities. I think there might be an underlying point to what Carol said, too, which is that, you know, we've talked in this program already about people who live right at the line of their means, and if they're hanging on to their home just barely making a mortgage payment every month, and then a referendum, which perhaps they voted against, gets passed by a majority of people, and, and it was a healthy majority of people in Monroe County who passed the, the MCCSC referendum, that has the potential to it, first of all, it by law circumvents the property tax caps, allows the MCCSE to levy more than the property tax caps would normally allow at that one percent level for the whole county. Um, it could potentially, I think, Carol maybe is trying to point out that push these people just beyond their means, and all of a sudden, where once you had the ability to pay for your mortgage, now something you didn't vote for may take that ability away from you. No, I think you do make a good point because I think that applies not just to property taxes, but a few years ago when we did the needs assessment, the scan report in Monroe County, the thing that struck me was not necessarily the absolute numbers of people 
who are already in poverty, but the number of people that were right at the edge, where the increase in, in poverty, or the, excuse me, the property taxes like the caller, uh, Carol, mentioned, or whether it be a an illness, a car repair, something like that, that they're living so close to the edge that any increase in their costs could drive them into a spiral of poverty. So I, I don't want to discount the caller's concern. And yet costs go up. Utility costs go up. Everything goes up. Exactly. And, you know, I think that um, the amount that your tax, your property taxes went up as a result of that referendum was, I, I know it is an issue for, for people, but I think it's uh, a pretty small amount considering. And um, and a lot of property taxes went down mm-hmm. with the last couple of years. The cost of rent is really where I see the rubber meet the road. My uh, clientele have a hard time coming up with first month's rent, deposit, utility costs, Mm -hmm. connection charges. A lot of them have old bills they can't pay at Duke or Vectran or what have you. And if you saw today's newspaper on the front page, the Energy Assistance Program administered by the South Central Community Action Program, which pumps a million dollars plus into this community to help low-income people pay their heat bills, it's at risk. It yeah. may not be what it used to be, and it's a, it's a major concern for folks that are close to the edge, I'll tell you that. Carol, thanks for calling. want to get to our another, another phone caller. Dave has been waiting patiently on the line. Thanks for calling into Noon Edition, Dave. Yes, um, I have some firsthand experience with that property tax issue. I own a piece of property that's a rental. The cost in property taxes in Bloomington is $2,300 for a 1,500-square-foot house. That means that the first $200 in rent every month goes to pay property taxes. That doesn't include any of the utilities or any of the maintenance of that property. That's a pretty big chunk of somebody's income if they are living at that $20,000 level that we're talking about. That's all I had to say. But it, it is an addendum, and I, th- I think it, it is a, a very real number that um, the people living near poverty have to pay attention to. Okay, Dave, thanks for calling in. You two can call into our program today at 812-855-0811. You can also dial us toll-free from anywhere you might be listening. That number is 877-285-9348. You can find us at our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, where we have an ongoing web chat. And we're also on Twitter. Send those messages to at Noon Edition. Another phone caller is on the line. Ugo is calling in. Thanks for calling in to Noon Edition this afternoon. Uh, thank you. Do you have a question for our panelists? Yes, I actually want to speak with Travis. Could you repeat that, please? I'm sorry, I couldn't understand you. I mean, I said I want to speak with Travis. I'm sorry, uh, we had a bad connection there. I think we've, um, I guess we've lost him. Sorry, there we go. Our apologies on that. Feel free to call back. Um, I, I thought about going back to my, my initial point about um, about the, the restaurants and the other agencies. Are there um, – and, and we talked about the problem with just having the availability and then there are the other issues of transportation and things like that. Are there groups of people or organizations that the three of you feel could be doing more, that, that you would like to have more communication or more collaboration with that would make your jobs easier and make the lives, more importantly, of – people living in poverty easier? Well, I think the community does a good job of rallying around to support people that are struggling economically right now. I think to some extent what we're looking at is the local impact of macroeconomic Mm -hmm. problems and how we struggle to address those at the local level. I think the restaurants and grocery stores do a good job, uh, Rob might be able to speak a little more to this, of giving food to the food bank and the pantries. And I think Bloomington certainly, not just in perception but in reality, has a reputation deservedly as being a caring community that comes together to try to address these concerns. But I think as we've seen uh, statewide, nationwide, globally, the impact of 
the recession, it, it's, uh, you know, a hard struggle against a big tide of downward incomes and people struggling. You know, I, I have to say I have a lot of respect for each of you for being in the business, quote-unquote, that, that you're in. And, Jim, you mentioned that you've been at the RIVE Center for how many? 20? 20, a little over 29 years. Well, that's a long time. I, I really would like to hear from each of you how you um, continue to maintain your enthusiasm for the work that you do without – you know, um, going home and crying yourself to sleep every night, because I think that each of you deal with, um, you know, some of um, the more more difficult folks in our population every single day. If you don't mind sharing that, I'd love to hear it. Well, first of all, you know, in, in your last question about are there people that can do more, there always are. There's always more money that that is needed. But you know, something that really enforces me and helps me is it's like uh, in Terre Haute, uh, Indiana State University has provided a fantastic collaboration to really help shore us up. We've got several really uh, good churches out there of all denominations that are really reaching out and helping us. And, you know, for me, uh, I was a police officer at Indiana State University when I started the youth center. And uh, every day, I walk into the youth center, and children run up to me and hug me, and they're smiling and they're happy. And uh, yes, they're impoverished, and yes, we deal with some some problems that no one wants to deal with. But you know, for that little time that they're at the youth center, getting a bite to eat, or being tutored, or uh, playing a game, or or whatever, uh, they're happy and they're safe. And that kind of gives me uh, just a little more edge to stay with it. Pete? I'd like to concur with that, that I think we'd be remiss in not acknowledging the incredible contribution of our faith community here in Bloomington, Mm -hmm. the interfaith shelter in the winter, Mm -hmm. what Genesis Church does, all the community development work done by uh, our churches. Uh, is just amazing, and it it's those kinds of things that inspire you to keep going and, and uh, continue to try to address the concerns of people who are struggling when it, it seems like they're, it's tough to find the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. Well, I've been a social worker for 31 years, and I guess the thing that keeps me going is that I'm able to affect some change. And if you're able to do something, then it's not as frustrating. If you're mm-hmm. able to feel like you're doing something productive, well, it's – I don't get to the point where I throw up my hands. The other part that's quite amazing, particularly where I work now at the New Hope Family Shelter, is this is basically a grassroots bootstrap mm-hmm. operation. Our board of directors literally sort of restored an old dilapidated abandoned house with a lot of help from the community – but, I mean, they were in there. They're not a board that sits up in the 14th floor and makes a decision. They are there painting and pounding and digging and scraping and so on. And that's just the physical plant. They raise money and, you know, we just try to keep keep the wolf from the door from our own place. So I'll put in a shameless plug and say, go to our website and send us some money because we need <laughs> to keep going. But be that as it may, the other things happen that just come out of the blue. It's like these little drops of altruism occur I'll come into the back uh, porch where our house is, and there'll be a basket of vegetables and corn and peppers and stuff. It's like a mystery just dropped out of the sky. And yesterday I got a call from a former colleague of mine. She's with a lady's sorority. She says, what do you guys need? What, what do you need? And I said, you know this world. And she said, yeah, I know. I need the things I can't buy with food stamps. Mm-hmm. I had a discussion with a banker the other day. He said, why don't you just buy the paper towels with the food stamps? <laughs> You can't buy paper towels or food no. stamps. You can't buy toothpaste. You can't buy soap. You can't buy phenol hygiene supplies, mm-hmm. socks or anything. You know, you can't buy the things you get in a grocery store. You can't buy anything but food and not even all the foods are food stamp eligible. It's, it's the altruism and the, and the outpouring of support that I've seen in this community for our shelter because we are the only shelter that does not break up a family. We take fathers and mothers together with mm-hmm. their children. Mm-hmm. That's, That's unique. I know the well, HT is going to be 
publishing a wish list coming up uh, yep, very soon. It. You're on it. Good. Uh, does uh, it's a it's a page in our local newspaper, Jim, that um, lists all the things that local social service agencies would like to have, and it's timed. You know, sure. so it comes right before the holidays. Are there things that that your center is just looking for that would just be such a, a help? Last year, we worked with a little over 1,400 individual children. So we have a little bit of all sorts of needs. Uh, We always need extra canned food. We always need food for the backpacks, uh, school supplies, uh, books for our reading reading program, Mm -hmm. uh, subscriptions to magazines for the kids to to read current affairs. Uh, Our computers are getting let... uh, dilapidated. What I would say is, you know, what is what really impresses me is when someone comes in and really gets what we're doing, whether it's in in a shelter or at the youth center. I had a a, a couple women come in and uh, they had heard about our backpack program and they got their church involved and uh, it's a family worship center in, in Terre Haute. And, and they started seeing all the needs that we, need, we had, and they created what's called Project Help, where we can email and, and just say, hey, we need this. And mm. uh, uh, we needed some shelf-stable milk, which is always mm-hmm. a great need. And, uh, kind of like a prayer chain, only a yeah, need chain. With, within three days, we had $224 uh, worth of shelf-stable milk. Wow. You know, the, the, the real problem that we have, it's easy to get, well, I need new basketballs for the basketball program or new mm-hmm. uh, jerseys or uh, books. But there's so many hidden costs to run an operation to get someone to repair you know, or whatever. So money is an important thing, too. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to have to leave it there. We've, we've run out of time, but my thanks to the three of you, Pete Giordano, Rob Young, and Jim Edwards for being here on the program. Thanks to all of our callers today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, Mike Pashkash, Gretchen Frazee, and Dalton Main, I'm Stan Dostrepsky. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.